0: Podcast and I'm your host Carl Hikara, and this is episode number 80. And this week on the podcast, we're basically kicking off uh, November proper with uh, uh, an episode with uh, the band Ghoul, J H, sorry G H U L from Britain, um, uh, fronted uh, created solely by uh, Yoti, and. Uh, yeah, this is his uh, his newer project. Um, he's released an album already this year, and um, has an album coming out in the uh, the upcoming future. I believe it's supposed to come out around July or not July, sorry, January. So uh, yeah, January, February, something like that. I do believe. Um, although I think he has it finished, and uh, yeah, we're gonna actually be. I had premiered a song from it, um, uh, the first single. Uh, Thangoradrim, um, uh, a little bit ago, I think, um, I'm trying to remember what episode though, it was a little bit ago, uh, so, and then tonight, or, uh, today, whenever I sing to this, we'll also be, uh, be, uh, premiering another new song from the album, which will be called Angmar Udan O Ang, so, uh, yeah, um, but yeah, so, yeah, G- 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 Goal released an album called Land of Shadow this year and uh yeah I released the single "Thangorodrim" Dream that I had played on the show on October 6th so um yeah so now I'm sneak I'm premiering yet another track from from the upcoming album and uh yeah we get into to the albums we get into the uh, the inspiration from Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion and Tolkien and how much our mutual love for that and black metal and uh a lot of different stuff and uh I definitely'll have yodi back on again probably uh, in particular more closer to when the album comes out the next album comes out I'll have him back on um but yeah so this conversation kind of covers the the previous album and then going into the lead into this new one so I hope you guys enjoy the episode for sure and uh, yeah um I guess we'll get into the uh, the plugs and then uh, then we'll get the episode going. I belong to a gang of podcasters called uh, the Horsemen of the Podcast Apocalypse. Every other Monday, you have Whorewolf 666 with Brandon Legion. Every Tuesday, you have Into the Necrosphere with Jackie Schmidt. And again, you can check out the episode that came out on on Tuesday. I was on uh, on the, on the news segment. Uh, this episode with Mike Hill and Ralph Schmidt, our fellow Horsemen. Uh, which, of course, goes into Wednesday, which is Everything Went Black, which is Mike Hill's podcast, which Ralph co-hosts quite a bit. And, um, and of course, Mike and I also have our, our series called Darkness Weaves, all dedicated to the work of Carl Edward Wagner that we split between the two, episodes, two podcasts. We'll be kicking off um, the next stage of that with uh, the first of the Kane stories uh, this month. So look forward to that. Uh, Thursdays you got Necromaniacs with Mike Hill, Mike Scandato, and Jeff Kashid. Fridays you have uh, um, Spitball Media, formerly you known as Break the Apocalypse, and on uh, intermittent times when he feels like putting something out, you got Iblis Manifestations with Cheyenne of Trivax. And that is the uh, the Horseman. There, you can give everybody a follow on social media. And uh, yeah, please uh, spread the word. Spread it, spread the disease, so to say. Let's get it out there. And um, yeah, if uh, one of the best ways to help uh, help everybody is by spreading the word and sharing and all that kind of stuff, you can follow me at either my name or at Denver Underground Radio, which is on uh, Instagram. Which is, of course, uh, that's the online radio station I run. I have shows every Tuesday and Thursday nights uh, live at Denver Underground Radio.com at uh, 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can go on our Instagram and see all the playlists and uh, get links to our Spotify playlist and all that kind of stuff. And then um, you yeah, have a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash soul podcast, two dollars a month and you get two to four bonus episodes a month. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, if you join, you get a special shout out on the, on the episode as well. So, and I definitely always appreciate everybody who joins and, uh, supports the podcast and helps keep a, keep everything going. And I really appreciate it so much. Every dollar helps quite a bit in the, uh, maintenance of the podcast, so to say. And, um, yeah, so I think that is the, all the plugs. Oh so, yeah. And then be sure to go check out Constantine uh, Turovsky's podcast, Mycelium Signal. He's not a horseman but he's an associate of mine. So please go sure check out that podcast. I know he has something uh, pretty awesome coming up with that, which uh, anybody who's into a, to a horror and weird fiction is going to be pretty excited. Who actually is kind of uh, you know involved with the kind of Uligati uh, end of things, if you know what I mean. So yeah, just uh, keep your eyes open for that. And yeah, speaking of which, you know, we just got out of Halloween, we're getting into the November, into December, this time of year, and uh, you know, it's a, I get a little sad when Halloween's over, but of course, Halloween is every day for me, really, but uh, this time of year, I do, for some reason, get get really on board with, uh, I don't know what is when it starts getting kind of cold in November, I just want to like, uh, get into world war history i don't know it's just the thing i get in every year i feel like right around this time i'm like okay it's time to read some world war one books and world war two stuff so yeah that's what i that's what started all right it started already for me um but yeah but continuing with the horror you know uh, i think uh you know world war one was very influential on the development of modern horror right there was a book I just listened to called Wasteland, which talked about that. It wasn't the best book in the world, but it had a had some good ideas in it. I, I hope one day somebody, uh, a little bit less needing to uh, express their political beliefs every two seconds, is willing to uh, to do, uh, do a version of that book in a little bit more objective way. But um, yeah, it was still worthwhile, I guess, to, to read. But I mostly like the underlying concept of the influence of World War One on the production of modern horror, definitely can see that in so many of those movies at that time period, but anyways, that's a digression, I guess you could say, and um, I think we'll get into the episode uh, with uh, Yoti from Ghoul, and like I said, we're starting this off with a brand new track that is uh, being premiered right now, which is called uh, Angbar Udan O'ang, um of his new album which will be uh particularly focused in on the kind of uh Silmarillion and more goth and all this kinds of stuff so pretty cool um hope you guys enjoy and uh hail satan well welcome back to the
1: podcast
0: um but this time we're uh, you're here for for your new project ghoul switch
1: so uh our goal I, yeah ghoul ghoul <laughs> yeah uh ghoul is how we've been saying it We i kind of put a normal out on there to, to basically look cool and make right, it look dude. a bit black metal <laughs> you without know, sounding awful, but cool. um, yeah. give it that yeah. motorhead look, motorhead thing. Yeah, yeah. Mutilation. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not metal if it doesn't have that. So uh. right,
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, because last thing you were on was Poisonous Reflections, but you've uh, you've since left Poisonous Re- Re- Reflections, correct? And now you're just doing. Are you still uh, doing, Vander, doing
1: or Are you just doing? I'm cool? still doing Vander. Um To be honest, there, things have been We we played. Some gigs recently that which have been really good actually, um, and hopefully got some more stuff lined up next month. Um, I can't say too much about that because it's not been officially announced yet, but um, it's pretty cool what we've got lined up. And we're also, um, uh, we're also working on a new EP, it's slightly different direction from what we've done before, um, because we uh, the the last couple of out al- the last album, shall I say, was very kind of second wave. Um, this is a bit more. Uh, this is a bit more like there's there's like post doom elements in there, and there's uh, a few different influences like uh, you know. So it's it's cool. But there's no rush on that one. That won't be out for a while. Right, uh, we're still very much in the writing process for that. After saying we weren't going to do anything else, we got such a good response from the last last gigs we did. <laughs> we decided to, to carry on. So, right. Um, um, you know, but yeah, no. uh, What are you going to say? Sorry, there. Yeah, a uh, goal is very much my primary focus at the moment. Um, really, it's um, it's been received really well. Yeah, um, I think. It's, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean. Um yeah so this year you released the album the land of shadows album which came out um when did that that came out a few months ago right like um
1: was it like April uh, or May? Was it june, june the 14th possibly yeah june the 14th i think it was yep and then
0: um, and you still have you have a new one in in the works which of course like anybody listening to the um, last uh well not the last but let's see the episode i put out last week uh you heard the the uh still unreleased
1: single drum from from that from an upcoming album it's coming out next year so yeah um that will be coming out next year everything's done for that um it's just we decided to not rush it um and you know kind of do a, a, a really working with matriarch records again who put out the last album um hopefully um and we she did so she it's a it's a it's a record small label local to me um and she did a really good job on that on the first album um and so we're making sure that the next one is like a step up do you know what I mean yeah uh, it's gonna have a you know slightly bigger release slightly more promotion behind it you know kind of all those different things you know you grow with every record you put out well you'd like to grow with every record you put out right well
0: yeah i mean the land of shadows album um i think it's very good i guess i it's definitely gonna be on my on my best of list for the year like i feel like um um i feel like like uh well, I remember from our last conversation, we were talking about some of the some of the bands that we both liked and everything. I can hear all that on the new on the the Ghoul stuff, where it's like you got the old school stuff, you got a little bit of that like almost kind of Hate Forest esque like, minimalism and uh, and sinister feelings. You know what I mean? Like, and you got atmosphere. You know, and uh, everything. Um, well, what was kind of like the impetus for for starting starting up Ghoul? Like.
1: Um, well, I, feel I had a couple of songs just kind of lying around, which I hadn't used for other projects. And I was basically planning on releasing them and started this solo project on my own. And I was, in fact, around my, my friends, uh, who is in, I'm not going to say who, but is in another UK black metal band who do pretty well. And we were sat there listening to Summoning, we we you know we we're having a bit beer, some beers and we ended up at the end of the the night, you know kind of listening to Summoning uh to a couple of Summoning albums yeah and that kind of made me think Do you know what I, I really love Tolkien I really love Lord of the Rings uh and there's been obviously there's been bands like Summoning before and you know other bands who've used the influences and you know you've got plenty of bands named after um after kind of uh, things in Tolkien, but um, you've never had someone really do the... Imagine if you're there. Imagine you're, you're in this. You're experiencing these things that Tolkien wrote about, <laughs> you know, these great battles all this you know, kind of being in Mordor or marching under under a banner of the Black Lands or anything like that. So I decided to do, it's, it's kind of from a, uh, a, a first person point of view, should I say. Um, and I think that was the impetus to do it. I, th- I think it was more of, it is very much a passion project. Um, it's something that I've, I've really loved for a number of years. Um I have, you know, kind of read the and read Children of Jorin, read, you know, kind of a great amount of the works, um, you know, dug into the law. And I thought, you know, it's so kind of rich um, and there's so much material, there's so much to draw from in terms of those influences. So I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do that. And it's been received really, really well. Yeah, I think it's it's cool. Like, um, um, there's,
0: you know, I've always been a big fan fan of summoning. I love summoning. Like, um, you know, and you know, like they do the tol. You know, they lost most of their stuff based off of Tolkien and everything, and and they do like their own sound, right? You know, like it's like very particular. I think yeah. that I've always felt like that with um. Being inspired by Lord of the Rings and Tolkien and Silmarillion and all that stuff, like that, there's more ways to express that influence than just like the Summoning, because a lot of the bands that I've heard who try to do it just sound like rip-offs of Summoning. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: And, uh, and I that feel like was. I, Sorry, go go on. Sorry.
0: I was I just feel like that 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 uh, what like what you're doing with Ghoul, and then recently I um we got to know this guy from this guy band in Australia called Drew Goth. And he's doing like black, like real, real primitive, like much more primitive, barbaric type of black metal. But it's all from like the point of view of like an orc, like killing people and stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: and uh, like from the orderings. And so it's like, I feel like uh, it's it's really cool. What you're doing is kind of like, all right, let's let's take a different approach than say, summoning. Instead of just ripping off summoning, we're gonna kind of take that same influence and inspiration and do something. Doing something
1: your own way, you know what I mean? Yeah, that that's very much a point I was just about to make. Um, I wanted to to do something like that, but not sound like summoning. Like I said, there's a thousand uh, kind of summoning, kind of knockoff or ripoff bands out there, and a lot of them, if I'm really going to be completely honest, sounds really quite naff and lame. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean. They don't. They're not cool. Uh, i mean we don't do this because we're cool but you know what i mean they you know there's there's always some sort of like folks in medieval keyboard intro and then stuff like that or some flutes playing somewhere i wanted to do something much more dissonant much more i think there's there's you know kind of on the first album certainly there's there's a lot of atmospheric influences but it's more atmospheric in terms of like you know mugwa or like you said hate forest or something like that um rather than you know kind of loads and loads of synths um in my other band vanda we've used quite a lot of synths in the past and you know kind of all that type of stuff and i wanted to to stay away from that as much as i could um there is still some, but but not a huge amount in comparison and um you know kind of everything's got uh, a lot of it has that driving kind of early dark throne fenris beats behind it partially because that's all i know how to play you know i can't yeah. really much doing do much else on the drums, but um, it is, um, yeah, I, d- I didn't want to, to do something that sounded like summoning, it was just a starting point. I mean, part of me wanted to do something, part of me was very much, I want to do something like this, but but heavier, basically, which or darker feeling, and that's the most important thing, it's dark, it feels darker than what they were doing.
0: Yeah, I feel like I feel like what what you're doing is what I appreciate sure what you're doing is it's got a raw sinister type of feeling to it. You know what I mean? Like it's not just uh um yeah, like you said there's not there's no like folksy like flute playing and you know like you got like this like very like almost kind of like sinister primitive drum beats and you know like it's got a very driving feeling to it which uh, and then you also have slower parts too, but I, I feel like um, that's what I like about it is it's still like raw and very much rooted in, you know, evil black metal while being like about, you know, Tolkien and all this stuff. And um, one thing I noticed is that the first album, Land of Shadows, seems to be much more about like Sauron and like Morg- Mordor and everything, right? And then your next album is all about, about a... Uh, Morgoth and everything, isn't it? About Thangor, you know, Thangorodrim and um, was it Hell of Iron and everything like that? Seems to be you're drawing upon the Silmarillion more of
1: this new album. Yeah, you absolutely hit the nail on the head there. Um, The first one is very much Morgoth, the the tracks. uh, Sorry, is Sauron, um, you know, Lord of the Rings. What's going? You know, kind of Mordor. um, You know, Mordor is the land of shadow. Um, Whereas the second one is, it's a heavier album, uh, so and it's a, I'd say it's it's darker, more dissonant uh, feeling and sounding, uh, than the first one, and so I I went very much and the influence I drew from that were very much the Morgoth, the Silmarillion, um, and the idea that it's it's much more hellish. Morgoth is much uh, much more of a you know kind of a lucifer devil figure than Sauron was you know kind of, he he was an agent of evil but Morgoth is the, the big bad isn't he really and the i uh, you know kind of Tolkien said you know kind of that himself in in many letters and stuff that uh, he 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 is Morgoth is very much the i is the idea of kind of like original sins and stuff like that is tied up in that character. So I think it's it's also very rich. It's a very, very rich kind of uh, history and lore. There's so much of it. You know, arguably a lot more of the Morgoth lore than there is of the Sauron lore, really. Uh, you know, you've got Lord of the Rings, and he appears in a few bits here and there in, in the Silmarillion, and particularly in Baron and Lúthien but Morgoth as a character um, is, you know, kind of dominates huge, huge parts of um, the early lore. Yeah. Um, well, if you
0: think about, like, uh, Morgoth, like, in a way, Sauron is essentially on the same level as Gandalf. They're both Maya, you know what I mean? And, like, they're not, you know, like, uh, but morgoth is a um is basically a god you know what i mean he's one of the one of the the high, highest you know underneath like the actual like uh, creator you know what i mean so it's like when you think about that like i think that it's interesting cuz when when you look at tolkien's ideas of um essentially like this for the the age of the silmarillion where you have like the first and the second age where you're Dealing with Morgoth, um, I mean, or the first age? Sorry, because the second age is, uh the Battle of Sauron, the first Battle of Sauron. But the first age, you have the Morgoth. It's on a level beyond what you see in Lord of the Rings. Like Lord of the Rings is very is like a pale reflection in a lot of ways. It's like much more human, you know. Where when you look at the events of the first age with Morgoth, like I mean, you think about it like a, a huge continent, essentially got submerged in the water you know at the end of the battle with with him because of how powerful the forces that were unleashed like trying to uh take him down you know what i mean like the whole, whole bell- Bellary end is like completely like submerged in the water now you know what i mean so it's like that's the type of level of of power you're talking about with with this whole thing and i always just found a very eerie to like the stories in the silmarillion about like tar of and, and like the uh, you know these these mountains that that uh, Baron was lost in you know what I mean with like these werewolves and all this stuff like very much obviously drawing upon like Nordic myth about the the Iron Woods and stuff like that with all the the trolls and the and the werewolves and you know all this kinds of stuff like there's a lot of very there's a lot more like when it comes to Morgoth and the First Age there's a lot more. Type of vampiric entities and things like this, as opposed to like uh, when you later on, you know what
1: I mean? Yeah, uh, I mean in Lord of the Rings, in terms of kind of the evil entities that we come across, of course, there's there's orcs, there's these you know hundreds and thousands of orcs, but in reality, we only have the Balrog, um, and. In The Hobbit, we have Smog, who is a descendant of, you know, kind of the dragons of old. But that is, it's a, it's time forgotten um, very much by the time that, uh, that Lord of the Rings comes around. And yeah, Sauron pales in comparison in terms of his power and the way he's able to dominate, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of, you know, ardor. Um, you know, so much so that the, the Valar actually get directly involved in, you know, kind of in the fight against him at the end. Um, yeah, exactly. And throw, him, throw him into the void, whereas Sauron was, you know, kind of went missing for a little bit. Uh, and then just de- decided, you know, the Valar decided that they weren't going to, you know, directly, um, directly challenging himself, it was up to the children of the Luvatar, it was up to men, and that, you know, the sentence, you know, the, the Astari, the wizards, to, to help with that, to, to guide them, but ultimately it was man's own decision to to overcome Sauron, and overcome his evil, it was part of the growth of man it was like almost, you know, this trial that they had to do uh, which again goes back to the uh, I think to the Nordic influences a lot of Nordic influences. Um and so and to be fair, Tolkien used a lot of influences from a lot of different kind of cultures in his in his writings. I always feel that uh The Children of Huron is almost like a Greek tragedy in its story and its tale. Um yeah uh, in the kind of you know what happens it's uh you know, kind of despair around it, and the way that you know people are driven to madness and things like that, and um, yeah, it's just great, and it's really, it's really fun to write about as a as a songwriter. In all honesty, it's really great, and it it's you know great to really, you know, kind of dive into it and and feel like how like how would this person feel if they were there, or what would it be like to witness? you know, the war of wrath and, you know, and Calagon the black, you know, you know, kind of, uh, rising from the pits of Angband, um, you know, in, in the last charge of Morgoth and, and stuff like that, you know, kind of, that's very much what's on the album cover.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the fields of sorrow uh, where, where he like defeats the, um, like that was the battle that I think when Baron ends up wandering around, like, cause he's, uh, his, uh, his whole family gets
1: destroyed by by Morgoth <laughs> yeah yeah it's just you know kind of it is just um, it, it, like I said it's, it's incredibly fun to write about and, um, and like like I said it's really well received people love it as well <laughs> I'm mean, there's no you, you know, can't hide behind things anymore you know I've got past the point where I don't want to do something anymore because I people might not think it's cool or whatever or people might think it's nerdy or or something i don't care about that i want to do this it's it's fun we all love it <laughs> you know otherwise we won't be listening to black metal and it right. suits the genre perfect perfectly well yeah you know, i mean honesty.
0: i mean yeah in reality what you're doing is kind of picking up the baton from a long line of uh you know like you know from the very beginning of black metal like there has always been this influence of tolkien i mean You can obviously look at Burism, for example, like there's a very clear example where he's like writing some of his songs are very much based on Tolkien uh, and role-playing games in general, like his old stuff. You got like, you know, bands named after like Gorgoroth as well, but um, you have other bands like Horna who, you know, most of their early stuff was all about Lord of the Rings, you know, like the first
1: like, yeah Yeah.
0: you know, two or three albums.
1: There's, uh, I mean, there's a, you know, kind of if you turn, you can turn it into a drinking game almost with the kind of early years or, you know, kind of the history of black metal, if you wanted, right, wanted to watch the film or read the books, whichever. But every time you hear a black metal band's name, you had a shot, you'd, you'd, you know, you go through quite a lot of alcohol, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, kind of. there's so many, I remember a um, friend watched it with me. And then they sat there, and they're going, "That's a, that's another, that's another one there. That's, a, that's another one there." You know, kind of <laughs> within the first ten minutes, you can see, you know, there's, there's so many. You know, even *Dark Throne* have, you know, referenced it. You know, it's just, it, it was a huge influence on the I genre. Mean, I, I thought I'd, I'd honor that tradition. Yeah, I mean,
0: think about it, like *Isengard*. You know, like uh, yeah. *Fenrir's Project*. You know
1: yeah quickly
0: his first uh demo he made like 1989 it's like entirely all about lord of the rings you know
1: yeah and i love that demo um what's it called it's a big influence um i've been keeping an eye out actually for it in final occasionally gets restocked Uh, um over here but not not that often so it's on my list of things of things to get yeah that's a that's a great demo
0: the um yeah i just think that that a big part of that is is the whole um, what we're talking about. Like the the there's so much like darkness and uh, um, in the Lord of the Rings that's very relevant to black metal, you know. And and like the just like the descriptions. And I think like definitely even more so. Like I was saying again. Like like Silmarillion like in the stuff about the first Age of Morgoth there's so much you know evil twisted woods and just all this kind of stuff that's very inspiring or you know even when you look at the the Hobbit Lord of the Rings and you're talking about like Dolgador you know and um and all the descriptions of uh the land of shadow and and um and then you know even beyond that you can get into just like the deep history of the whole thing you know what I mean like Uh, depending on what you're doing because you know like a band like Silmarillion for a band like Summoning for example like I don't think that they're trying to make black metal like in the same way they're not like focused on the evil dark side of of the whole thing I mean they their early stuff is more so like you know minus Morgul but beyond that they also deal with the totality of, of Lord of the Rings in a lot of ways you know they have songs about like you know about like uh Aragorn and you know like all this kind of stuff the writers of over and you know like they do stuff so it's a little different like a band, like summoning but when we're talking like more specifically like sinister evil black metal like what you're doing with ghoul um you know there's so much there's so much there to be inspired by you know and and you can like I'm sure do you like sometimes um like with the songs like do you kind of base it off of okay so I want to write about this type of thing in it and so I'm going to put myself in that place and write the music and the lyrics based upon the the idea, like the the thing that you're trying to write about. Or is it kind of like you write the music and you try to figure out what that expresses? Or are you trying to, like, express the feeling that you're getting from certain things from the books?
1: It's it's either or. I um, mean, like I said, there's this, you know, kind of um, there's this. 40-odd years, well, actually more, actually. There's an insane amount of years of work with Tolkien. But particularly from the Silberillion, you find these moments where people find themselves in complete and utter despair. And there's so many times, there's so many points in it where Morgoth wins. Morgoth wins, he beats everybody, he destroys things, you know, kind of. He just absolutely destroys characters. And what I tend to I tend to, you know, and every so often I'll remember something and go and sit and write some some riffs and a song and kind of trying to visualize, you know, feel the despair. There's a lot of despair in Silmarillion. A lot more than there is in Lord of the Rings. In Lord of the Rings, there is there is somewhere, you know, kind of and that's what I was honing in in Land of Shadow, you know, kind of this this the horrible desolate place that the, you know, kind of the hobbits found themselves in at the end or any character who's been there has, has found themselves in, but even more so in the Silmarillion that there's more of that, there's characters, you know, kind of, you know, who, who, you know, commits you know, commit suicide. There's characters who are driven to complete madness uh, beyond reason. Um And that's the sort of thing that I, I want to, to to feel and find out and hone in and, and help other people experiences that's that kind of despair, that hopelessness that lends itself to black metal so well um, yeah as a genre because that's what it's really about, isn't it? And and you know, kind of used in Tolkien's works to, to translate that. Um there's yeah it's just you know kind of it's either or, or. Some songs I kind of sit there and think, oh, you know, kind of this is what I'll write this, and and think I, you know, kind of come up with the the ideas afterwards, for, and then some songs I think, Hell of Iron and uh, Thank You, both too, where I thought actually I'm going to write about this. I'm going to write about the War of Wrath. This is you know kind of I'm going to be there. I'm going to you know fight this hopeless battle. Um, In myself in my own head and um that's where that comes from right
0: yeah i think that that's one thing like you pointed out like with um with uh um the silmarillion um and stuff like the children of urine which you brought up a few times like i think that that book that was released you know whatever i think it was 10 years ago now right um over ten years ago was a uh, incredible on its own you know like that 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 story is so powerful because it, it taps into certain things of like so much parts of uh, it feels like a it feels like a, a, a story from our own mythologies you know what I mean and um, and it's so haunting. There's so much darkness in it, you know. Like it's such a tragedy. Like when you get to the end, and you're like, "Oh man!" Like uh, it's very fucked up, you know. <laughs> and that, yeah, so much of that in in the older order of the Ring stuff, yeah, and the, the Silmarillion and everything.
1: Yeah, I think at some point uh, I'd quite like to write something uh, about you know kind of, uh, about uh, Baron and Luthien based on that, and uh, that is another. It you know kind of insanely rich story, um, of you know kind of and it's like it's fantastical beyond most of our imaginations, isn't it? Um, you, and like I said, you've got all those vampiric influences and this primal. You know, there's in the older stuff. There's, there's there's more of a primordial evil. There's more of a a darkness which is is just there it's you know it's it's hard to explain um there's you know there's much more corruption of of the world um morgoth does you know kind of you know he breeds this hideous entities and these you know dragons and balrogs (coughs) sorry and um yeah i think um i think that would be something i'd like to tap into in the future uh but it's so it's so like intense and dense that it possibly couldn't do it over one album in reality <laughs> maybe do it as a series yeah you could do it you could definitely do like a series kind of dealing with
0: with all that kind of stuff i mean think of um um what was it Un- ungoliath or how, how i forget how her name is pronounced like the uh the giant shadow evil entity that takes this form of like a, a spider, you know, and, uh, and then eats the, the trees of light, you know, like, uh, that they planted in, um, uh, what's it called in, in, uh, I'm like, like in a name, you know, like when, before they sundered themselves from, 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 uh, from everything, like they were, uh, the Valar were, uh, the Valar, but the, uh, yeah, devour. You know what I mean? Like when they had all the elves there and then and then Morgoth yeah. came down with Ongulath and like they devoured the tree and she like sucked
1: all the light inside of herself and and everything. Yeah, that was almost there was a point in in Tolkien's writing there actually. It's quite interesting. That's but that's when uh um Morgoth actually changes from Melkor to Morgoth in in the writings in the Actual finalized published, you know, Silverillion and you know, its other works. Um, and Gongolian, she kind of feeds on light, she devours light, she devours, she devours, um, not just you know, literal light, but also you know, kind of you know, any other, um, and so does, does Shelob in, in Lord of the Rings. You know, she, she's supposed to be a descendant, yeah. Um, did the, the devour, you know, kind of hope as well, the devour. You know, kind of love, anything like that. You know, they they suck that out of people, and you know, drive him into this, you know, kind of state of despair. Um, but it's interested in his writings because that's when Melkor becomes Morgoth, and Melkor in the early stories in in he, in you know, kind of the the song of um, the. Uh, the music of Einor and stuff like that. He's very much more he's much more like a, a almost a Loki character. Um he's he, you know, he's, he's mischievous. He does he does bad things, but he does it, you know, kind of it's just uh a lot of the time it's to one up aeroutar or you know, kind of almost you know kind of uh, almost create a bit of a nuisance with himself and, you know, he's, he's irritated by, yeah. by uh, he was irritated by the other, the, the other Valar. And then he changes uh, as a character where he steals the, you know, kind of the light or, or when she, he devours the light from the trees and plunges, you know, the world into darkness, very much more into, more into the Lucifer character, more into the, um you know, chaotic evil character. He wants, he wants chaos. He wants to ruin Everything that the the gods have made and created, um, and it is it is an interesting change. Uh, I think that darkness kind of grows. It obviously grows within Tolkien and his works, and so uh, you know his his ability to write it is you know he's tapped into something different there.
0: Yeah, one thing that's really interesting about the Silmarillion um, and Tolkien's cosmology, because a lot of people read. Um, kind of a christian to, christian stuff into it which you can kind of see here and there but in a way what he's describing is much more similar oddly enough to the african religions so in african religions you have this creator god who creates everything but he doesn't really take part in 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 his creation he kind of created things and then he set the uh the orishas as the kind of watchers over and and up down to the point that um there's like a one to one comparison between a lot of the orishas in African religion and the valar like they're there's some of them that are, are almost exact to each other um like um the battle the battle valar I'm trying I'm forgetting his name he uh he's very much similar to shango which is like the got, the war orisha who's like this kind of like you know like thunder orisha and stuff like that so it's very interesting cuz um, and you could even look at it like if you were to posit that there was some type of creator god that set everything in motion and then you have like the Nordic gods or whatever as the kind of, or the Greek gods as like the, you know, the Valar, that's more what you see in Tolkien more than just like a pure Christian idea, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it is interesting, I think if you look across different cultures, particularly, you know, within, within I mean, let's Let's say pagan religions is basically anything that isn't, you know, kind of or anything that isn't Christianity, alternative religions. A lot of them share, uh, you know, these different beliefs with, you know, different gods, you know, kind of, you know, all uh, non monotheistic religions, really. Um, and you do see a lot of that in Tolkien's works the, you know, particularly the kind of you have got elements of the Greek gods you've got elements of the Norse gods particularly um, with the Valar with, you know, he did study religion fanatically um, in great
0: depth Yeah, it's interesting because I know he studied particularly European cultures, like very and deaf you know he was a philologist you know he really knew he knew he knew his nordic and germanic and celtic in probably greek as well he knew all that stuff back and forth right but i just never i never heard of tolkien really studying african religions so i always found it very striking when i started learning about um dorishas and stuff in african religion and being like wow like this stuff is almost exactly what tolkien was describing in uh even some of the create, yeah. create, creation myths of Africa are like very, very similar. Or when you deal with like um, the Afro-Caribbean religions, like Santeria, and all those kinds of things, like it's it's just fascinating that I think yeah. that I think that it's kind of like tapping into something that's just like very primordial. You know what I mean? Like what he's what he's tapping into is like very much like this primordial idea of like some type of creator god who kind of sets things in motion, but but that's all he does i mean he doesn't he doesn't take part in creation like he's not he's not ever you know doing he doesn't he doesn't interfere
1: in the world that devout that they have created you know what i mean yeah um i think the um, this is a really interesting theological uh discussion point as well um and you can apply this to the christian god as well um is that you have this one thing the, the one similarity between Ariel Uvatar and the Christian, uh, you know, kind of belief is you know the kind of omnipotence, he can see everything you know all the time, he knows what's going to happen in the future. Um, you know, kind of there is this argument, you know, kind of and Tolkien has alluded it to a couple of times that um, he uh, you know, kind of mulled these evils, he knew what to, you know. He knew that Morgoth was going to create these evils. He knew he was going to twist and corrupt these things. He knew what Sauron was going to do in the end. It's all about, you know, the freedom of choice for people to overcome these things or the freedom of uh, people to prove their worth. And that, that's, that's steeped in Christianity. But like you said, the there's so much there. I, I honestly don't know a lot about African religion or um i know a little bit about east religions it's not so much about africa it's not particularly read up on and i'll probably go and have a look at that now and see, you know just see what you see see what you're talking about so but yeah. that could be quite interesting it's very oh. it's very striking
0: because uh yeah a few because um in african religion uh, there's uh um uh, do to remember her name there's like one of the orishas is is you know like the, there's the orisha that's like uh all about healing the earth and, or not Orisha, the Valar, who's all about like growing things and healing the earth and doing all this stuff. Like there's like one of the Orishas and afro the same way as her. Like some of the names are even similar. <laughs> it's
1: weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just one thing you will have certainly done is, 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 you know, the man was a linguist at the end of the day. Um <laughs> That was his true love is will have taken those names are all over the place. Um, you know, Gandalf itself, is a Norse word for something I can't remember what it is. It's um, uh, it's basically like, um,
0: uh, gond is um, a type of, uh, um, um, like a type of wand essentially that sorcerers might have used. Um, and then Alf would be like an elf. So he's kind of like a, a, you know, that's kind of. And Gondor Gond, you know, I think yeah, Gond was like a yeah, type of stave that like sorcerers would use. So it's pretty so I think he kinda uh that that were I think the word Gandalf was actually in it's some. some...
1: him used using uh yeah. He he um yeah, he he you know, there's a lot of that. Um and uh originally I think. I mean he chose to add that to his 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 wizard character originally thorin was supposed to be called gandalf in in the hobbit and he changed his mind on that one he wanted thorin to be much more um of like a, a norse courage type of character
0: yeah yeah all the all the dwarves are all named after the the dwarf list that's in uh the bulusva in the nordic uh in order to, in uh in the um in the poetic edda so yeah. there's, there's like the whole list of dwarf names and he just used those for all of his dwarves you know
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you are know, talking about the man who translated beowulf <laughs> you know kind of and yeah. you know in trend you know did numerous translations of it, you know it, kind of various works his translation
0: of um the saga of the Volsungs is very mm. very good like it's very good
1: yeah I mean, it's not really yeah. a
0: translation it's like a retelling he's doing like a yeah <clears throat> he did like a retelling of the saga of the Volsungs and it's uh Sigur and the Dragon and all that stuff it's very good
1: yes he, he actually stated himself didn't he, that he, he drew a lot of influence for that from his, for his own works
0: yeah like in in the whole Children of Hurin uh there's the whole part where I think it's, uh, is a Turin, like, uh, Turmbrar, like, he, like, kills the dragon from underneath, like, he gets underneath the dragon and stabs it, you know? Yeah, with his, and... like, Gla- kills Glaurung. Glaurung, yeah. yeah. That's all from uh, the Vo- Saga of the Volsungs, and Sigurd, the dragon slayer, does this. He, like, stabs him underneath, and, you know.
1: Yeah, it's, it, you know, kind of. <laughs> There's so, there's so much that we could talk about this for hours, really, uh, you know, <laughs> with the, with the um, and that's why, again, that's why it lends itself so well to, to what I'm doing or hoping to achieve uh, with this music. It's um, a lot of fun. It's, it's as I've said myself, it's a passion project. So you you can really find yourself um, diving into it quite a lot. Um. And, and hopefully we're going to, you know, I'm, well, we are, I am planning to take it to, to into a live form um, early next year as well. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You got, you got some people to help you play? Yeah, I have. Um, basically I, I did a call out for the rest, you know, band members and they are all people from fairly well-established um, decent UK black metal bands, I'm not gonna say who they are yet. Um but you know, they're they're good people, that they're, they're the right people and we'll put on a real good show. Um I'm having some um some kind of you know, kind of there will be like a costume element. I'm having a headpiece made. Um uh, you know, I've got, you know, there'll be will be swords on stage and stuff like that. So again gonna... it will be are you gonna do kind of like the, the type of
0: thing like the 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 ring wraiths, like have like the the helmet? That'd be
1: cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is basically. We're going to be using uh, my partner, who also does the art for for Goal. Um She's helping create uh, the headpiece, which was you know kind of based on the the Witch King headpiece. Um, so it's going to be uh, a booger to play in. It won't be the easiest thing to play in in the world, but um, it'll be it'll be really cool um, when she's done with it. Uh, she's helped quite out quite a lot. Uh, she she also does all the artwork um, as well. So she's uh, as much of this project as as the you know kind of live band members are in a way. Um, cool yeah, she was- did that
0: yeah that's awesome and the, the cool thing with like a headpiece like that is you could if you have the helmet you could get that like you know that mesh fabric they use for masks that you can put yeah where you can breathe through it and see through it but you can't see your face and you can put that like kind of the inside so that it's just like you know it's like the ring race where it's like you can't see their face and just like
1: just like yeah we're very, very much going down that route and uh i've just taken a book in actually for for a, a show in january i can't say who it is yet because the promoters haven't announced it yet but that's cool so that's pretty exciting um so yeah that that will be really fun um like i've said it's we've it's responded to people have responded to it really well all the bands um which is you know kind of important in the way you know when you get validation from your peers you know what the bands seem to dig it and you know labels and stuff like that so um yeah i think yeah uh... i'm really looking forward to that
0: yeah i think that i think that part of it is like you're passionate about this subject and what you're doing and have like a vision for it right and i think that that's that's what makes the biggest difference is like being like okay like i have like when you have a clear vision for what you want to create it makes it a lot easier i think overall and the music's going to show that you know like you can hear the passion in it you can hear the uh the, the vision and intensity of what you're doing you know what i mean
1: yeah, um, that's absolutely true. Um, when you you you're putting so much of this energy into it, and you you kind you're loving every minute of it, rather than you know being in the bands in the past and made music where it has become a bit of a chore, it's become forced. There's there's none of that with this. Um, it does make it a lot easier that it's you know on the recordings, bar the um guest spot by av from abduction and a another um friend who has done some um kind of petushka style (laughs) vocals um you know kind of greek orthodox style vocals on in you know kind of Sindarin for a song um have Apart from those two, it's all me. I, I'm playing everything, and you, you you don't have. In some ways, that can be a bad thing because you don't have anyone checking in and check in and saying that's that's you know that's shit. Uh, but at the same time, you're free. You're kind of um I'm unrestrained from having other band members here telling me you know kind of I've been in bands in the past or tried to play in black metal bands in the past where other people these bit oh it needs to be a bit more death metal. It needs to be a bit more like this. Um yeah. uh, in the early days of Vanda, everyone was pretty much and this is no disrespect to the players in it, everyone because they were from a death metal background, were mostly interested in how fast and heavy we could play. Um there's it's a different kind of thing. Um yeah, I think that that's you know,
0: see that's the thing with, with black metal in of itself, I feel like needs to come from um it's about, you know, from a, from different type of vision where you have, like, this, it's not just about playing fast and heavy and how many notes you can play or, you know, a lot of stuff that you sometimes see of like, death metal bands, like, and I think that this even applies to the best death metal is the best, I mean, for this kind of music, I think when you have, like, a vision and you're creating that vision as opposed to, um, you know, just trying to like be impressive musically or something, I think is always the best because it's like then you're like really expressing something, you know, deep. You're actually really expressing something as opposed to whatever that may be. If it's we want to express like evil, you're that's what you're part, you're trying to express like sorrow or whatever you're trying to express in your music. Um, that becomes i think that's that should be the most important thing in terms of black metal is is that kind of stuff and making sure the songs are good you know what i mean like not necessarily how fast you can play and you know how technically you can play
1: or all that kind of stuff you know what i mean yeah i mean the kind of speed technicality thing gets quite boring you know quite fast at the end of the day i find black metal as a, an art form it you can express yourself in a far deeper way. Um, particularly the, you know, you, you, kind of most innermost, you know, kind of despair really. Um, it's, you, you, it comes from a much more personal place. I think Does does black metal than the death metal. And I found that when I was working on my own with this, I was working on my own on goal. Um, I found it much easier to to not have those kind of influence around me and just write you know kind of pure black metal Write, you know um what i wanted to to write really which is is raw slightly atmospheric you know token based black metal and i i seem to be achieving that at the moment yeah i agree and
0: i think that the another great thing with what you're doing is that it's atmospheric but it's not like uh, i don't know there's a lot of like kind of you know all this kind of crappy atmospheric bands where they they have like crappy riffs and then they just like put some like crappy keyboards over it and they're like oh this is atmospheric you know and it doesn't have any intensity or any real darkness to it like ghoul is the opposite of that it's like super fucking dark but you gotta and oppressive but you gotta really get great atmos- and atmosphere at the same time you know
1: yeah, it's funny, you should say that I of the first song I sent to, to someone was, was a friend of mine, a colleague, uh, who will actually be joining, uh, joining me in the live lineup. And the first thing I said to him, this is new project here, you can kind of paraphrase in my own um, message new project, it's atmospheric. But not atmospheric black metal you know, kind <laughs> of it because that is exactly what you I know exactly what you mean there's there's loads particularly on the UK seed at the moment there's quite a lot of that and um, I wanted to do something different so I wanted to stand out a little bit I mean there's a lot of atmospheric black metal that I really love um, you know stuff like Druk, uh, there's um, you know kind of winter who are from the UK you know there's a lot um there's too many to name but then at the same time for every one of those bands there's there's, this band that sounds exactly the same uh, as any other Um,
0: over time because of that reason i've become
1: like very um
0: suspicious of the term atmospheric black metal like because because i could feel like it was uh i mean you have like you said like bands like Druidka or winter phyllis or woden's throne was a great one or you know yeah yeah. wolves and throne room stuff like that like um that's like that's like more where you know goal would be but although goal is actually probably more close to the the atmospheric parts of hate forest i would say you know but like the uh but nowadays it's like i mean every time i see that it's some seems like it's some hipster dude who's like kind of like you know slapped together some like lame riffs and put some crappy you know in computer like keyboards over it and some lackluster like you know program drum beats you know what i mean like and, yeah and They're like, yeah, oh yeah this yeah. is
1: atmospheric black moon they are like
0: atmospheric for what Like
1: again it, it's got that <laughs> it is it, it doesn't have that energy it doesn't have that you know kind of darkness that that you feel but there's yeah I, I i know what you mean there's distrust as soon as you see the you see the term on a band you think oh am i actually gonna like this <laughs> um you know, bands can be atmospheric without being atmospheric black metal. Exactly. Um, well, I, look and...
0: at, I think all black metal in a way is atmospheric. You know what I mean? Like that's one thing I always think of is that that's a big part of what black men was supposed to achieve is to create this kind of atmosphere and um, and feeling and and you know, you can look at like under a funeral moon. I mean, that's a very atmospheric album and it doesn't
1: have any of the stuff that people call atmospheric, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know, not synth in sight, you know, kind of, you know, at all. Um one of the best bands that I saw that were really, really atmospheric recently were with Ulta or Ulta, I don't know how you say it, but you know, kind of the German bands. Um with uh yeah. Ralph. Yeah, my yeah. Ralph, yeah. Also yeah had a great, yeah. Yeah, they were exceptionally atmospheric, you know, there's bands, you know, to watch live, except like on an on a different level. Their um, their,
0: their atmosphere is just like brooding yeah black darkness yeah it's very yeah it is. Very yeah dark it was... and dark sounding yeah
1: yeah and the kind of the live show um matched that it was they uh, they had uh, basically a shitload of fog and smoke uh, to the point where you couldn't actually see the drummer um who was there. he was definitely there <laughs> and definitely working very very hard um uh, and, and then these just silhouettes and this, like you said this dark brooding kind of sounds but the energy never lets up and I mean, that's the most important thing is that the energy doesn't let up because as soon as it does people start getting bored basically you know kind yeah. of yeah
0: the- i think when you play atmosphere that kind of more like uh the good side atmosphere black metal is going to be intense that's there's like an intensity yeah. to those types of bands you know that that it's like it's like with like ulta or some of his friends in the German scene like Sun Worship and those kind of bands it's like they're fucking intense like you're they're playing a riff like a thousand times but you don't feel it because it's like the, the intensity level is on a thousand you know it's kind of like um, the you know weakling like Dead as Dreams album you know what I mean like yeah
1: um, it's almost at a point you know the kind of repetition it taps into this kind of ritualistic primordial kind of vibe um and that's that's what kind of sets the the, i think the the great bands apart from some of the others it it taps into something else it taps into like a transcendental primordial vibe and author did that really really well um yeah i think
0: that's uh, definitely that's definitely the important like all the bands we're mentioning that are like the good quote-unquote atmospheric background bands that's like the thing they all have in common is they're all fucking intense you know what i mean
1: yeah yeah it's i mean the kind of and and to be fair if you're not intense then it's time to go home <laughs> yeah. you know if i've played a gig and i'm not feeling you know kind of at the end just feeling completely full of emotion completely full of um you know the, these you know this insane you know uh Voices in my head. So then it's 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 time to go home. You're not you're not doing your job, and um, you hope that translates. Yeah, But um, well,
0: I, I think like um, also like, that kind of atmosphere can have different elements because like I think like um, my friend Nas like, does with like achilles is very atmospheric, but it's like nightmare. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah, like, that is
1: nightmarish actually. Like, um, you're like the, you're submerged in a nightmare. You know? <laughs> yeah, his stuff is exceptional um i remember a couple of years ago it was during lockdown and i think one of the new singles one of the singles that dropped off his last album and and phil av from abduction I sent it me and was like listen to this it's insane this is the standard that uh you know we need everybody needs to be at this is the standard <laughs> like now <laughs> you know maybe re- rethink uh, you know our approaches um and it's correct at is. is Musically, it's just brilliant. <laughs> it's, like I said, it's nightmarish. There's something horrible about it. Really, really horrible. Yeah, and in your face. And when he goes into those, those passages where it just becomes this dissonance, you know, dissonant nightmarish sound. It's it's great. I really really do like that band. <clears throat> yeah, I think that. Yeah, what he's
0: doing with that is like. Yeah, it's like a, it's like that other side of of the kind of atmospheric coin where it's just like this like nightmare, or evil. He's got dark ambient elements, you know. Like, I think I think that's where there's like different forms that this type of the type of thing can take, and you know, like I think, um, um, like, yeah, I'd like to see more bands kind of go out in those types of directions as opposed to making the kind of weak type of stuff that we were talking about before you know
1: yeah exactly the i mean for want to a better phrase the boring stuff when you don't know it's hard to describe what's boring but there's a a lot of stuff out there um yeah without sounding elitist about it it's just fucking boring
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i just i don't i don't get it and uh you know like I don't know. I, I just I guess like as I get older, part of me does get a little. maybe I don't know if it's elitist, but it's just like this thing of like black metal needs to be dark and intense. You know, like I don't want to hear some fucking Hobbit flutes in my black metal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I like, yeah. Or that kind of stuff like, you know, like you can kind of make flutes work if you're like, I don't know. I mean, like I like the first over Berg tot. You know, like yeah that makes flutes work okay in parts of it or like you know uh dark medieval times, you know, but but it's not yeah. like it's not like hobbit flutes. It's not like you know, making a song like you're gonna watch a hobbit dance around you it like you know but- Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, we don't want to be in the prancing party dancing on tables. We want to be outside angband at the uh you know, the gates of hell, basically. Fighting, you know these these fallen spirits of fire, (laughs) you know, at the risk of being swallowed by these dungeons, you know that that's that's what I want to be doing. Not like I said, I've I've really tried to stay away from the Hobbit flutes, as you described. That's a really good way of describing it, actually. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That you know the that you hear in some of the things, you know, summoning are about the Eric band that do pull it off at times and even sometimes they do it and it's quite cheesy and corny. Yeah. Uh, I mean you know, skip those skip those tracks. <laughs> you yeah. Know, kind of go, go to the you know kind of slightly more black matter ones. Yeah. My favorite albums are there are the early ones. You know me too. Um, yeah.
0: My favorite stuff from summoning my favorite album is my it's probably minus Morgul. And I really love uh yeah. Dolgador and Night Sa- Nightshade Forest. Um and then um You know after that i mean i like their later albums as well you know like stronghold and let uh mortal heroes uh singer fame or i forget the name of that one it's pretty good too like you know i like a lot of their later stuff but definitely like there's something really special about the uh the first you know three albums and and the nightshade cp
1: you know yeah i think you're right yeah um all right look is great as well I think that's the most kind of black metal one that did, wasn't it? And yeah, and yeah. minus minus Morgul as well. You know, kind of those, those two tend to be my favourites. Um, but this, the, like I said, it was just that band was very much a starting point. We would have some beers and we're listening to it. And it made me think, fuck it, you know, I'm going to do Tolkien. I'm going to do this. And it's going to be, it's going to be darker. It's going to be nastier. And it's going to come from a, a, a darker place. Yeah, that's great. Um, what are your thoughts about the movies, The Lord of the Rings movies? Um, to be fair, I mean, I, I do love the movies. Um, part of it is nostalgia. Part of it is... I think the movies did a, a, a fairly decent job uh, bringing it to the screen. The Hobbits aren't aren't great, but they you know, kind of got a door to... We um, you know we tend to watch them a a bit more of kids films, the movies. Um, obviously, they should change some some quite large parts of them. Um, but as a, as a yeah, I, th- I think they did a relatively good job. Um, I think I, I it was. I think Sorry, the, you go. I was,
0: was going to say I think the 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 Lord of the Rings trilogy they did. There's certain so like i think the overall like look and feel of the movies is spot on you know like yeah. i remember seeing the movie uh seeing i think uh, was it in um yeah the end of two towers when gandalf is riding with pippin and they're riding and they look over they're going to gondor and they look over this field and you can see like the land you know mordor in the distance and stuff I remember yeah. seeing that scene when the movie theaters and being like, this is exactly how I imagined the scene in my head when
1: I yeah, was Yeah, like, yeah, there are you know, lots of parts like that. Obviously, the change quite, you know, some serious parts about it, you know, they're completely excluded, you know, Tom Bombadil, the, you know, the Barrow Whites, and I can't see the reasons behind that. Um, I can understand the reason that he changed you Know he, he made a literal eye of Mordor, like eye of Sauron. Sorry, because you know there's not a physical big bad, it's just this idea of this guy sitting in this foot in his fortress. So I can see the reasons behind it, but I can understand why people, some people, aren't so sold on that. Um, they did a better job than Rings of Power, right. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, yeah, I think. Um uh some of my one of my biggest issues with the lord of the rings the movies is uh i really hate the way that they treat faramir in a movie
1: yes like like um that
0: that really bothers me like to the point that it almost it makes me hard hard for me to watch that part of two towers like last time i watched i skipped past the whole scene because it just like it frustrated me because you know faramir is supposed to be you know like he's he's such an asshole in the movie but he's like supposed to be the he's like the exact opposite of that in the book like he's supposed to be the one who actually passes the challenge of the ring as opposed to his brother Boromir so in a way he's like kind of um validate you know he's saying that he's kind of like the I'm trying to think what the word is but you know like Boromir kind of failed the test but Faramir kind of you know at least shows that some men aren't going to be tempted so easily you know what I mean like um and Faramir just as a character I thought was like a really good character in the book and I really hated the way they made him in the movie
1: you know yeah I'm not gonna lie I that was one of my biggest issues with the film when I first saw them particularly I was actually quite excited to see the character Faramir in the two towers you know when he was coming out I was about 12 13 14 when those films came out yeah and I'd that was my introduction to Lord of the Rings was the first film. My mum and dad took me to see it. And I was like, oh, what's this kind of thing. Then my mind was blown by this, the fellowship of the ring, you know, it was about 11, 12 at the time. And after that, I read all the books, you know, kind of read the, the trilogy, you know, kind of in one go, just read them all. And so by the time I got to the second film, I'd finished, um, finished all three. Um, and yeah, Faramir, they did the the films did a disservice to Faramir's character um, in terms of everything that he is in the book. Uh, you know, he's he's like I said, he's, he's got this kind of noble courage. He the, the his film characters lacks the depth that he has in in the books as well. Um, it felt like
0: um one of my biggest issues with with the movies was there's was period there's certain things that happen in the movies and it's kind of a little bit worse than the hobbit movies where you feel like hollywood is saying well we need to like inject like unnecessary like conflict that doesn't make any yeah. sense that's like not in the book you know what i mean and i felt like the whole thing with faramir was definitely like hollywood studio type being like well we need to have some type of conflict here you know what i mean like you can't just like have Faramir just let them go away, like in the book. Like, you need to have
1: him be an asshole and, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, and that kind of that. defeats the point of his character in, in many ways, really. Um That he is, you know, kind of, in terms of kind of the men of Middle-earth, you know, at that point in time, Aragorn, obviously, he's the most similar to Aragorn. He becomes his most trusted, after the War of the Ring, he becomes his most trusted ally. You know, he's, you know, kind of this is incredibly intelligent and and you know kind of has this compassion um though boromir had as well but in a different way yeah um you know it is not vain he has no vanity that does thing about Faramir. he has no vanity yeah um i think and because
0: yeah boromir's downfall was was it's interesting because his downfall really was actually um in a way, the ring used his love for his city, for his for his for his city and his people against him. You know what I mean, and and then played on his pride of being like you could be the savior of them. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, um, he was driven. Ultimately, Boromir was driven by um, this this wanting to help, you know, kind of, or wanting to win this war against Mordor and save his people. You know, Gondor was falling into fallen into decline. You know, it was it wasn't the great power that it, it was. And it was, you know, the, the thing that the movie doesn't actually translate very well that the book does is how long Gondor had been fighting Mordor, that these battles had been going on for like hundreds of years. Um, and that, you know, kind of it, Boromir was, and then Faramir was at, at the charge of, you know, fighting these battles. So they didn't translate that very well, and it probably would have given it a bit more depth. It doesn't extend the edition a little bit, but it would have given a little bit more understanding to Boromir uh, from a point of view. Um, yeah, I, I agree that it do do a service to um, uh, and, uh, <laughs> that's, uh It's probably the one that, you know, Tolkien would probably be most upset about in, in yeah. reality because <laughs> you know he he actually based him on himself how his vision of himself of what he'd like to be if he was in this this scenario and how he would act so that's that's how you know kind of that's faramir is is tolkien's conscience basically yeah yeah um, that, yeah and that
0: does i think uh i think that was one of the things that christopher tolkien was most hor- like hated the most about the movies <laughs> like because he yeah. knew that because he knew his dad like like faramir is very important to his dad so he's like very like upset about about how they changed faramir in movies yeah yeah it's like uh, yeah that's like the i mean that's um and and i feel like that's like one of the, It's weird because that's that's i feel like that one and then um another unnecessary conflict which kind of annoyed me was um aragorn like not wanting to take up his sword and stuff where in the book he he does like on their way out of rivendell you know but in the movie for some reason they they like added this whole thing of like all of a sudden er Elrond just shows up with like his sword and stuff which I just
1: and then it suddenly changes his mind yeah yeah um i think yeah to try and make him a slightly more brooding character but in in the um in the books is definitely um, he is definitely kind of, you know, accepts his his fate a lot more readily, doesn't he? Yeah. He he takes a sword with me. He's always getting it out to prove that he is a rightful king. He does that quite a lot. You know, when he, you know, first goes to Rohan, he, you know, you know, you know, there is a lot less of the reluctance from Aragorn. In fact, actually, I've just finished listening to listening to them. There was a, a radio dramatization in the eighties. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard it on the BBC of Lord of the Rings.
0: Yeah, I'm familiar yeah. familiar with that. I think that was the, yeah. the one that that uh, Summoning used a lot for like their samples. Yeah,
1: it was. Yeah, um, I'm, I recently got it on tape on cassette tape, and you know, being being into black metal, you have to have a cassette tape player. Um, <laughs> But um, well, particularly in the UK, everyone puts stuff out on tape. Um, but uh, I listened to that recently, and that's you know that that portrayal of Aragorn is much more the book portrayal of Aragorn. Yeah, like I think
0: that that's that's one thing is Aragorn's been preparing his whole life to to, to yeah to, to take this on, you know, and and he's not so like tormented by. That kind of stuff like you know like and again that feels like a, a hollywood a lot of the changes that you see seems like hollywood trying to add like a little spice into the story that that doesn't yeah it, you know yeah. but it, it doesn't really need that. you know like it's actually kind of like either detrimental to the story or just like kind of stupid you
1: know what i mean like doesn't the, the... yeah kind of unnecessary kind of changes really um there's a, there's a few book, bits after the book that I was disappointed not to see. You know, characters who you know didn't appear as well, uh, particularly Glorfindel. Uh, <laughs> we was at, it was a bit like, ah, oh, he didn't turn up anywhere. Yeah, you know, when you know, kind of, it would have been cool if he did, or you know, there's there's a couple of others as well. Um, didn't really deal with, with friends. I would
0: like to see the Grey Company a bit more. You know, like they didn't, the kind over there, but not really in the book and movie. You know.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, But overall, uh, you know, I think it's it's yeah, I still love it. Um, I still love the films. I do tend to um, stick them on. And like you said, there's some parts of it, particularly the visual elements where you where, you know, the you know, it's exactly like it's described in the book, or exactly how you visualise it in your head. That yeah. that part, you know, when the first enter, went to when they enter, um, you know, kind of Casodum. Yeah, the, that's amazing. The of Durowadalf, that that still sends shivers down my spine, and so does you know when when Gandalf turns up at the end of the two towers with the the Braherin, Yeah there's moments that's... like that are really special and they did those very very well yeah exactly i think that's the best part of the Lord of the rings movies is
0: uh i can kind of overlook like a lot of the those, like things that i was talking about although the faramir one is really like faramir one
1: a big one for me actually when you talk about unnecessary conflict the one that i didn't like was the unnecessary conflict between sam and frodo that felt they had to need to put in um when they're climbing the stairs to um, um, Sirith Ungol, um, you know, the kind of get down, you know, kind of bit where Sam goes down and comes back up again. Um, There there was a, there was a lot more, you know, there's a, there's a lot more conflict there than needed to be. I think. Uh, Yeah. uh, I think it's it's just Hollywood, isn't it? (laughs)
0: Yeah. I I definitely think all the stuff like that I complain about with the movies is like, definitely hollywood like notes you know what i mean it's like people trying to like add spice to the story that doesn't need to be there yeah anymore. yeah and you,
1: you can imagine with that sort of project as well you know you're talking about millions and hundreds of millions of dollars that have been invested into it people are gonna producers executive producers going to have bits to say aren't they to make them um if we had a uh absolutely faithful Lord of the Rings movie or film then it'd probably be about 30 hours long
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I was was thinking about like I think the best way to do a faithful adaptation of Lord of the Rings would be an animated movie um yeah probably And do do you like like um uh, uh a multi-series so you could do a series yeah. where each episode is like one book of the movie of the of the story and, and just like translate it almost exactly like, from the book you know what i mean like like in terms yeah. of like each um not like each book book i mean like in the books you have like the first half of the lord of the rings and uh fellowship of the ring then there's a second part of Fellowship of the ring you know
1: what i mean like there's like the different parts you yeah know? i know part exactly one part two mean, yeah. yeah like yeah i know i agree with that that, that actually worked Quite well, um, particularly where we are now with animation. Yeah, and and, yeah. and and with TV, and you could do something like that where you have a,
0: you know, uh, it'd probably be what a, a six to eight part, you know, yeah, series, um, with
1: each episode like an hour, two hours long or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, I thought that myself, and also yeah, I mean, there's people who have been saying for for many many years that'd like to see parts of Silmarillion. Um, I just like adapted to the screen, but that's so dense. Something like the, you know, kind of Baron, Baron and Luthien. The only way I think you could do it would be to to do an animated version. Yeah, um, and I, I have like it, a, I have a lot of nervousness about any,
0: particularly after the the horrible disaster that Tr- Rings of Power was. That like makes me like very nervous. Like right now in t- today's climate for any Lord of the Rings adaptation, though, where all this stuff we were talking about with the like, I look at The Lord of the Rings, the first trilogy, and with all those, like, little issues we had, overall, they were pretty... They really were fairly faithful to the look and feel of the of the of of everything. And it wasn't, like... Nowadays, like, I feel like they would add all kinds of unnecessary, like, changes yeah. to make it, like, more politically correct or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, and I, it just makes me kind of nervous, like, to have any new adaptation,
1: yeah. you know? <laughs> I, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I don't think it... Part Of me also doesn't think you'd be, you know, for the, there's some things, uh, for example, like I don't think you could get a better portrayal of Gandalf than Ian, Mac- than what Ian McKellen did. Um, he did an exceptionally good, you know, kind of oh, he's perfect, um, yeah, the portrayal or Saruman, even though kind of Saruman's death, you know, is completely changed um christopher lee saruman was also brilliant is exactly how you imagine him in the books yeah or Um, like um
0: worm tongue like a lot of the people in movies they're just like perfect yeah
1: perfect king theoden you know is another one who's who's, you know portrayed very very well um um you know it it was cast very very well there are some really good portrayals um uh you know you kind of Tied into it in your head now with those people being the characters in the books, and you can't imagine somebody else being them, and it's you know quite, find it quite hard. So even though, like you said, they did make those changes, and some of them were necessary, you know, you couldn't, you know, kind of keeping Tom Bombadil in, for example, probably would have killed the pacing of a film. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I think of, so. Yeah, yeah, you know, it would have killed the pacing of the film. It would have killed urgency, you know. All the bits, you know, lots of bits of like knocking around, telling stories, singing songs, would have, you know, kind of done that. Um There's just a, a few minor niggles there, I think, but you can understand why they did it. Nothing. Uh, whereas, that... Rings of Power, Rings of Power, um, I was excited when it first came out, and um, you know, I watched it every week when a new episode came, on, and I tried to go back to it recently to watch. And it was worse the second time round because you haven't got that excitement of it being a new Lord of the Rings thing. And it was a huge, huge disappointment, really. And it's really, really, really boring. That's, that's the worst thing about Rings of Power. Uh, apart from all the kind of stuff about the law that's wrong. I mean, I don't mind some things being changed a little bit. But this is, like, huge, huge, huge things. You know, it's very, yeah. very different to the story. Very different. And you, I kind of hope that they... Because it didn't get a, a great response. It didn't get a great, um, you know, kind of... People ultimately didn't like it, <laughs> you know, really. Um, some people did, but... A lot of people didn't. There's there's, there's a couple of things it did well, but you know, kind of there's, there's interesting things about the orcs and you know, kind of the orcs' homeland or where they came from. But at the end of the day, it didn't balance. Unlike the movies, the changes that made weren't balanced out by the really good things in the movie.
0: Right. I think the big difference is that the creators' rings of power specifically said that they didn't that they didn't care about. Tokens lore at all, really? That they were like, we'll change whatever we want to. Like, we don't have any, you know what I mean? Like, they didn't have any respect for the source material, you know?
1: Yeah, they specifically also, said that,
0: yeah. you know. And where Peter Jackson had respect for the source material, you know,
1: he he did, yeah, he did it himself as as much as I did mine. He did it as as a passion project. Ian McCallum has said on a numerous occasion, it was a lifelong dream for him to play Gandalf, you know, he wanted to do that. That's you know, he that's the part he wanted to play more than anything else in his whole career, you know. And you you can you can tell, can't you? You can see that. Um whereas yeah. with the rings of power it's um, what I don't understand about the rings of power one of the things I don't understand about the rings of power is why and how it was so expensive. Um the the sets the 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 um, you know kind of the CGI the the set pieces were nowhere near as impressive as the movies, and yet the movies had a, a in comparison and had a much smaller budget. Yeah, I don't I
0: don't know. I mean, it's it's the movies also didn't rely one hundred percent on CGI, and that yeah, that was that was kind yeah, of my issue true. with the Hobbit series trilogy as well like the hobbit trilogy had too much cgi and some of yeah,
1: it did, yeah. The, Ho-
0: the hobbit movies were more i like some aspects of them like they can be they're kind of fun to watch particularly i really like the last one the most because mm-hmm. uh um the, my biggest problem with the hobbit movies is that all of the they have they added these like stupid like like the, the whole running from the goblin scene yeah, first movie, yeah it's i agree the, with that it's literally one of the dumbest things i've ever seen in my life like it literally it doesn't look anything like they describe in the book it's like cartoony like cgi that like has no relationship to any kind of like physics at all and like it just looks like uh it literally looks like a ps2 video game you know what i mean like it's yeah. horrible like i had to every time i watched that movie i have to like skip that whole section and i have to skip yeah. the Daryl
1: ride okay. section. You know, like I was, uh, I was, I was going to kind of say that myself. Actually, that scene I'd pick the uh, in in the Misty Mountains, the Goblin King, with the kind of like, uh, you know, kind of goblins and orcs on zip lines and stuff like that. Um, I thought it was pretty terrible when I first watched it. I mean, I've come to, you know, there are some good things again uh, about those films. My personal. Um, when I went to see the the second one, I found the most fun to watch at the cinema, uh, particularly because of the the dragon because small smaller. I think they actually did quite a good job on that. Um, yeah, and that that one. Had, I think uh, I forget
0: the barrel ride part is pretty dumb too.
1: Yeah, it um, is. Yeah,
0: and, and then they the other one I thought was real silly is when they're like in the mountain and there's like these like rivers of gold and stuff. I, I didn't understand that. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's funny cuz like outside of those stupid like set piece things that are like so CGI and like goofy like there's like other stuff that's good in the movies like i really like this stuff with the, them going into Goldador and the necromancer because yeah you yeah know, that that happens in the timeline of the of of the hobbit that is happening so i was like that's awesome that they put that in the set design for for Gold Ador is sick you know what i mean like um i liked all that i liked the battle like the extended version of battle of five armies is better than the original it, yeah, ex, true, and yeah. i love i love the big the battle in that movie it's so cool
1: yeah um but like you said the orbit does actually have some redeeming features it's not as good as the lord of the rings but it's a it's a fun film you know we can you can sit down and, and watch it it's a bit more child friendly as well you know there's a bit more my daughter Likes it more than Lord of the Rings at the moment. Um, I'm sure that'll change. Hopefully in the future, but um, uh, but she is really also she really really likes dragons. I will point that out. My daughter is obsessed with dragons, so there's probably some of that in there as well. But um, with the Rings of Power, it's just from all honesty, the Rings of Power is just a failure for me. It's uh, it's too far from the law and i'm not one of those people who particularly gets hung up on on those sorts of things massively i think you have to take you know sometimes it's right to make creative choices when you're doing an adaptation but that like i said it's a disrespect it's like there's this it's so far away with some points um we get the feeling that that they that they
0: don't understand the underlying concepts behind what Tolkien's talking about and the kind of worldview of Tol- Tolkien's like Whoa. yeah I,
1: I also think like you said the the creators the the hired guns that were were hired into writer unlike Peter Jackson Peter Jackson has instead on on a number of times he's a huge fan of Lord of the Rings that bit's clear the issues with the hobbits that we have were that de- were a lot of it was down to studio issues. There was more studio interference with The Hobbit. I think he said he didn't actually want it to be three films. Originally, he wanted it to be two. He he, he you know, he was forced to pad it out quite a lot. Um, the one thing that did annoy me about The Hobbit, now I think about it and going back to it, was the portrayal of Bjorn. Did Bjorn a disservice. He is a great character in the book. Yeah, Bjorn. Um, yeah, Bjorn was a great character. He got basically... Two minutes in the film. <laughs> it's, it was a bit, that was disappointing. Um, yeah.
0: And it doesn't make sense if you're trying to pad it out. Why would you just give Bjorn only a couple minutes? But then you add like all that, uh, and they add like all this stuff with with Radagast the Brown that is not yeah. in the book. That's kind of goofy. Elf. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Legolas and the, you know, putting Legolas today. And,
0: and, uh, like, and um, yeah, that stupid fucking romance between Legolas and the, yeah the, the other elf and all that stuff and you're like you added all of that but then you just like you gave bjorn like just a minute in the movie like i don't want that that was something i i
1: was very like frustrated about <laughs> but that that's with fans it's interesting that we get you kind of get frustrated about the same thing you see yeah um, but uh, with, yeah, with Rings of Power I probably will end up watching the second series whenever that comes out in the hope that they will be a little bit more faithful or the hope that they, you know, they will do something different to it. Uh, for me the best part of Long Rings of Power for me was the prologue at the beginning where you got to briefly see the, the War of Wrath and the dragons and the battles outside Angband and then, but that was for about 10 seconds and the rest of the show never lived up to that yeah yeah the um yeah i guess it depends on
0: if they decide to actually take um any kind of criticism in line It seems like they were more 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 inclined to just say that everybody who didn't like that was like a racist do you know what i mean like that was kind of the response from the creators which i thought was like not like i was like no like we're just like talking about like issues with with the whole thing of like what you know i don't know token i don't know i mean and like i said i'm i can be i can be flexible about certain things you know like like i said like with the original lord of the rings or even the hobbit movies i can overlook certain things you know like that's but um uh yeah. but when you're um, changing it too much and you're messing with certain characters too much like it starts to get it just it gets a little like um just feel like they don't care you know like they don't they don't you know they don't have the the love for for the material that somebody like Peter Jackson did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: it's true. And so every- we'll, we'll see what comes of that uh, at the, uh, without sounding arrogant at this point in time. I think I'm, I'm doing a better job of portraying the, the kind of early lore of, of um, you know, kind of pre Lord of the Rings, Tolkien works than the Rings of power was. Right. Yeah. I'm,
0: I'm, I think it's really cool that you're, you're digging into the first age with your next album and, and because, uh, you know, like, um, there's not so many bands that, that I hear who, who talk about the pre ordering stuff, like the stuff from the Silmarillion. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, you've, you've had bands like, like kind of talk about Tarna and, and, um, and, uh, stuff like that, you know, like here and there, but, uh, Overall, it's not it's it's very much a less like um, um, delved into topic than say the Lord of the Rings. And I think maybe part of that's because uh, a lot of people have a hard time with the Silmarillion, which I don't quite understand because I mean, well, like I remember, I think with Silmarillion. Like you have to just get used to the the way that's written. Like for me, like I remember being probably you know I read the Lord of the Rings multiple times growing up in the Hobbit, like ever since I was a kid. Uh, Silmarillion was a little bit of a little bit difficult to crack, but then I remember being a teenager and finally like I think I had read it through once and then I read it through a second time and it was like something clicked and I just I got it. I got how it's written. I got the, the pacing of the words and everything and yeah. now I can read a Silmarillion like like it's totally normal, like you know, like just like whatever. So I think that for some people maybe they just don't want to put the work in to to actually Get to that point where the silmarillion really opens up and blossoms and you can really like delve into the whole the whole thing you
1: know i think if you are i think the problem with the silmarillion is a lot of people come from straight from reading Lord of the rings and they go what are we going to read next and lord of the rings is dense uh but it it has a relatable time scales in it it has you know relatable human elements the Silmarillion is a much more dense and is on a much, you know, epic, you know, kind of time scale. It's more, you know, you know, stuff happens over hundreds of years in the blink of an eye in it, and I think people find that hard in a way sometimes to um, to relate to, and I think, like you said, once you get it. And you you kind of get past that, and and also at the, at the same time, it it what it you know it wasn't intended to be written. You know, it's like a chronology of, of events that happens. And once you realize that, I think it becomes much more hard, easy to comprehend and easy to read. Um, it's it also ultimately it's just not as popular and, and as well read, so I don't think people go for it as as much so yeah i mean it's where i've drawn a lot of inspiration from um but um obviously a lot of people don't and there's there's, there is also you know an element of people out there who say oh it's crap don't bother with it you know kind of when you first go you know to read it or oh i tried to read it Mm, no don't no i didn't bother you know once you actually get into the stories um, it, it you know the stories in there are exceptional, they're just told in a very very different way to the Hobbits or the, the Lord of the Rings. But the Hobbits and Lord of the Rings themselves are very different from each other. So,
0: yeah, and I think I that think, yeah, that that you know you wouldn't have the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings without the Silmarillion, because I mean that was his work that no. right? he was working on the whole time, and and it's the underpinning of of the whole thing, like. And the other thing with the Silmarillion was that it was, yeah, like you said, it was kind of a chronology, It's talking about things that happen. Some things a bit more depth than others uh, is written in a, like a bit older type of style. Um, and then the intention was like, to that Tolkien was going to go in and and write deeper things about some of the key stories, which that's why we got like the Children of Huron, which is like the extended version of that story that's in the book or the fall of Gondor, not Gondor, um, Gondolin. Gondolid. Yeah, like that 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 book that has multiple versions of the fall of Gondolin. You have, you know, all this kinds of stuff, these kinds of additional things that uh, stuff that's in Unfinished Tales that uh, Christopher Tolkien put out, you know, and and I don't know, for me, like if you love Lord of the Rings and you love the world of Middle Earth, and you don't read Silmarillion, I don't think you can really call yourself a true Tolkien fan unless you can, unless you read Lord Dol- Silmarillion and and get into all that stuff. You know what I mean? Because it's just such an important part of the whole the whole thing. You know?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's his interest because Tolkien himself he he said himself. I I can't remember what the quotes were, but, but he said himself very much that he considered his story wise, Baron and Luthien to be his greatest story. That's right, that that's the one he wanted to to really um adapt and you know focus on after lord of the rings um it would have been interesting to see what he thought and you could see you could see why he thinks that you know that the tale is absolutely epic tale that happens over that that period of time
0: and uh Um, i think christopher tolkien that was the last one that he put out before he died wasn't it was the baron and luthien i think it was yeah, yeah yeah um um
1: it, it is exceptional
0: yeah and and that's one of the most important stories as well in terms is, of yeah. setting up yeah. what's happened because if you think about baron luthien i mean uh arwen is a is a descendant of luthien you know what i mean like uh um like you have like uh elrond you know like is there is their son you know like you have this uh this is uh and erin and you know like this is setting up the events of Baron Luthien set up the events for the the fall of Morgoth, you know, and yeah. the start of the Second Age, you know, like that is one of the most, you know, because cause it wasn't for Baron Luthien, you wouldn't have Arendil go, go and find the Valar and get them involved in and come and strike down Morgoth and imprison him and then basically destroy Bellary, and, you know what I mean? And and everybody had to like flee to middle to the west, you know, or to the... To middle earth um, um so it's it's very uh it's it's very interesting when you think about it.
1: or Andor, i mean Ardor. yeah i mean you get to see in a few things in that story that you get to see sauron at his is most evil arguably um you actually get to see sauron as a character doing things that you know kind of torturing uh characters or you know uh, you know with huge power it is it, you know uh, available to him that you don't see in lord of the rings you actually get to see him as a one-on-one character which you don't see you know obviously in um in the trilogy you get the the the, mir- uh, the mirroring of arwen and um Aragorn and Baron and Luthier It kind of directly mirrors it. She gives up her immortal life to to choose her immortal life with her her love. So it, it you know kind of I can see why he considered it his greatest story. It's just a shame that he never got to expand on it or never got to make because it's, 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 it's like I said it's so dense. It probably it wouldn't be one book. I think it'd be you know three or even four or five or six. It'd be a long period of work the actual final um final you know if you made it into a novel um that's you know that's what it'd be so yeah it'd be yeah, god there's so much isn't there there's so much to to tap into
0: yeah and i think uh yeah it's it, there he created so much and uh and there's like a lot of space and i think that the thing that was pointed out too is that Tolkien had this idea too of other people writing things in his world you know what i mean like uh that was something that he he had in his mind as well so you can see even like the work that you're doing of goal in a way is actually uh part of tolkien's intention was that he wanted people to create works of art based off of his work you know what i mean that was something that
1: that he actually wanted you know yeah, that's true, and, and people obviously have gone to. I've, you can argue that that no other modern writer has had such an impact on popular culture, particularly on you know kind of metal or black metal. You know, God, um, Lovecraft has has had a similar sort of influence in in the genre, it, you know the genre as well. But um, in terms of the kind of the worlds. The world building that Tolkien did, it's in, you know it's insane, and we've seen it on TV, you know, kind of Tolkien has had an influence on Game of Thrones, which is arguably one of the most successful TV shows and the House of Dragon, you know, that we've seen over the last 20 years, 10, 10, 20 years. Yeah. Um, um, although, you know, kind of as a as a writer, there's no comparison <laughs> between Tolkien, really. Um, there was no one else who's quite a of, who was at his level. I think, um, you know, kind of Martin isn't it, even close. Uh, you know, in his ability to write. Um, so yeah, it, it's interesting. See, I think people will keep, you know, creating things like Ghoul. I think people will still keep creating these things, you know, influenced by his work or tapping into his work. Um, it'd be amazing to think you'd probably hate. What I've done with it, in all honesty, <laughs> you know, kind of, it's probably fucking ate it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, kind yeah. of, you know. <laughs> I don't know, I can't imagine him being a black metal fan. But um
0: yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know how you feel about like bands, uh, you know, being like, yeah, we like the works and stuff. But, you know, like I think you might yeah. be able to be like, yeah, I mean, yeah. But you know, he might see, you might see a place for that you as might. well. You
1: I mean, know, I, I, I think you'd see the merit of the artistic um you know kind of side of things yeah
0: because because there's there's something to that to exploring those things i mean like i mean on a personal level i think that like sauron for example and what he does and what he represents and what saruman does and represents is is like on a personal level i would see that as being indicative of the kind of evils of of modern man and and like the greed that that goes into destroying the earth and everything like that you know
1: yeah like uh, like the,
0: the... like i'm more on the side of like the ants in a, as a person but like at the same time i find the evil stuff inspiring as well in in its own way
1: you know what i mean because i like that kind of evil dark stuff you know yeah um, as as saruman and sauron both of them interestingly are industrialists you know, they, they create big, mach- great machines of war um, that, um, and not just great machines of war. Great, you know, factories. You know, Tolkien himself was a, you know, w- was an anti-industrialist. He, he didn't, you know, he believed in. And you, you know, myself, you can because I'm from the, England. You can go and see the places that that influenced him, um, and the places that ultimately he wanted to save. Um, you know that he thought were in danger uh, of becoming, you know, kind of wiped out by these modern mechanizations. Morgoth again is a different character; is is a much more religious character, is like an old religious character. Yeah, Um,
0: I would I would say that like that's the thing that I guess sometimes I find more interesting at the first age is that Morgoth is not really he doesn't represent that same thing because i think that no. part of that is because Sauron, sarama and, saruman and the way he affected saruman stuff so that represents more the human evil like yeah like human evil like that's like kind of like you know will like destroy everything for greed and you know uh, does everything like without any foresight you know like just kind of like consumes and turns everything into a desert where Morgoth is something different, like, and that's why I think like the the forces around Morgoth are more, like you said, like dragons and balrogs and vampires and spirits of darkness and you know like, uh, he's not just creating like a wasteland. He's kind of like something else, like which I can relate to a lot more of Morgoth than they
1: can say with Saruman. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, Saruman, I, mean, I, mean, S- I mean Sauron and Saruman S- and Saruman both, you know, kind of are uh, like you said are are maya that have become corrupted and like you said this this willingness like you said it's greed it's vanity it's this this desire sauron is desire desire to create order um saruman wants to be the the greatest you know the the greatest maya the you know he wants to be the strongest or the most powerful and both of them through that um, like you said, create these wasteland, create these deserts, create this industrial, um, this smog that um, threatens to, you know, kind of destroy everything that is green. What is good in Tolkien's world is green. It is good. It is. It is old. It's you know, it comes from the earth. If both of what they do doesn't. You know, it's it's factories, it's machines, it's you know great cogs of fire and burning industrial smoke um whereas morgoth like you said it's primordial evil it's evil for the sake of chaos it's chaos you know it's chaotic evil yeah uh, um you morgoth, know, so... morgoth
0: is more like shrouded in this darkness you know this utter like, yeah, cosmic is, yeah, darkness yeah. and he like it's... kind of it's still nature but it becomes twisted and and stuff which you know i think is is
1: like more inspiring to me than in a lot of ways you know yeah and it's you know kind of some somewhat more interesting and i think that's why i've tapped on the second album i've tapped into that so you know a bit more because it's it it it, it takes you into deeper dark depths than you know the, the the sauron stuff does i think yeah
0: because yeah i think that you know yeah like the for me, that I think there's just like more this kind of obsidian cosmic darkness and this stuff of Morgoth that can be very inspiring for black metal. And I mean, yeah, the, the Saur- Sauron stuff can be inspiring in a way, but you know, definitely in Lord of the Rings, I'm more on the side of like the Ents and stuff when I'm reading it. You yeah, know what I mean because I'm like, I'm like I like nature. I don't really like big like wasteland deserts that humans create. You know what I mean? Like I feel like the Lord of the Rings is telling more of a story of like. Of like uh, how people become corrupted by greed and and, and yeah and yeah tyranny and you know like the Sar, Sauron is really like in a lot of ways a, a model for communism and fascism and stuff like that you know what I mean
1: yeah he is yeah uh, he certainly is particularly what was going on in Tolkien's world at that time um, it's not um, you know Sauron is undoubtedly evil but it's a it's like I said. It's more of a human evil. It's um, actually interested about the rings of power. It's one of the things that was actually you could claim his back book accurate, even though I wish they hadn't changed his name. But I think it's wanted. They wanted to keep Sauron uh, is a secret, even though it was very fucking obvious that it was uh, whatever they called him. I can't remember his name now. As <laughs> um, you know, kind of Sauron the beautiful. Um, you know, they sh- should have stuck to his name. That they kept it as, you know, uh, you know, Anatar the Giver of Gifts. That's something that they actually seemed to keep. It, it was still shit the way they did it. Um Yeah, it yeah. A there's like one. weird <laughs> romance between Galadriel and Sauron, which was completely unnecessary as well. I don't know why that was in. There. <laughs> don't know why that was in there. It's kind of Hollywood thing, isn't it? um but yeah i mean where can we go from there you know hopefully they'll they'll listen maybe they won't i don't have much faith i think now now that you know you kind of you know what to expect you know um you know kind of we'll see where it is yeah.
0: um there's there's a concept in um this book by thomas carlson called uh cabal cliff off and goetic magic represents that you have the kind of cosmic obsidian evil which is something that yeah. is supposed to um kind of like uh it's something against the kind of creative creative order and uh, the order of like the of like god or whatever right it's like this kind of like kind of you know the fall and all this stuff is represented with these types of, these types of forces are liberating in a way where you have this kind of um gray evil of mankind which is the evil of like you know people murdering each other and and you know like con- concentration camps and tyranny and all this yeah. kind of stuff right that's like the gray evil I think you could see that as like the, the difference and you could almost look at the idea that Morgoth represents this uh, this black this like cosmic evil right that that is trying to create his own his own he's rebelling against the the creator in a way you know what I mean and yeah. as part of that 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 kind of process others are kind of you know tempted from or kind of fall in temptation but then they only can arise to the point that they can right so you have like a figure like saruman who becomes becomes like kind of um aligned with this cosmic evil but only up to the point that he's capable of understanding and then and then it kind of twists them into his own he's like he's like uh, kind of gets twisted in his own temptations you know what i mean like which is i think a a uh, concept which you see in certain types of satanism which is that like satan represents this kind of uh temptation to to like turn away from the cosmic order or whatever but um there's going to be all these temptations for you to not go past to the point where you actually could go and instead you kind of get stuck in like this in like your own bullshit you know because that's part yeah, of the yeah part of the process of the temptation of it. And I feel like you can see that with something like Sauron and, and these kind of forces,
1: you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, I feel that Morgoth himself is, is far more Luciferian evil than this evil that uh, Sauron represents or kind of Tolkien's idea of a Luciferian evil. Yeah. Uh, And, And you can see in Tolkien's idea that this
0: Luciferian evil is actually part of the plan of, in a way you know what i mean
1: yeah it is part of the plan um you know kind of Eru at the end of the day Eru olivatar um he in you know like you know kind of god created you know morgoth he knew what was going to happen he knew what was going to happen at the end it was all part of his plan and you've got the 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 battle that ends all battles at the end. And then where everything became, you know, everything is created new, which again is in every, every religious story, really. Um, It happens in Christian stories, you know, kind of with revelations. Um, It happens with um, the Norse stories, you know, everything is created new and you're taken into this golden other age the age to end or age, all ages and all usually ends up in the defeat of this one great evil um, right. or it's like a yeah it's like the,
0: the reset of the cosmos in a way you know like yeah, it's, yeah, it's, the, it's like just
1: the, yeah. the perfect way to describe it it's,
0: yeah it's, it's like a new cycle can can then initiate and and in a way like you can see that Tolkien's idea is that this this kind of luciferian promethean evil of of morgoth uh Melkor he represents he's he's necessary in in the whole thing like um which I think is really interesting it's like he's it's like he's saying that this kind of discord this kind of type of force is necessary in yeah. creation yeah. for evolution and everything like that you know what i mean like you would, like you have to have this kind of conflict within you can not like like um in in middle earth you have to have this kind of conflict because if you don't there can be no there can be no like real uh, evolution or change
1: yeah know. it's a place it's, it's the story of human growth in the end we have to uh, make these decisions ourselves we have to make this growth ourselves that's why aragorn is so important in the story he is aragorn who needs to he represents humanity the best things about humanity and that these these things need to overcome these great evils ourselves, you know, Aragorn at the end, the story, which, you know, kind of is, he could basically say to Saron, yes, we'll, we'll succumb to your evil. We'll take the easy road. And he doesn't, you know, fight it. And, um, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the story of human growth, isn't it? So I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's what Tolkien intended, um, or you can see that's what is intended. Um, I'm pretty much going to have to go pretty soon. I need to get something to eat because uh, I'm diabetic. But um, no problem, you know, man. It's been, yeah, it's that time. Yeah, we, we could out, so. do this for hours um, um, if we, you know, kind of. It's, it's such a rich history. There's, there's Tolkien himself. He spent his life dedicated. To these works so it's like you can go on for so much you know could do a part two or three of this yeah. you know it's well, like we'll, it's have do, we'll have to do a, another episode um when the next album actually comes out so yeah, yeah. that would be cool yeah yeah um yeah. I, it, it, I i do feel i need to give like a couple of shout outs to to the uh, people that you need to check out that yeah man um, this will be a-
0: Go ahead yeah. and uh, yeah, we'll close out. Good, you know, give your shout outs and tell everybody, yeah, yeah, find all um, your music and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and then... cool. yeah, obviously, the first one with me is always Abduction. Um, you know, uh, I think AV's Planet is work, they're working on a new album at the moment. Um another one that we need to listen to is Look Out for I'm Really Excited About This because. He hasn't, it's tied in into the dervish uh, black metal scene, which you know is me. Abduction, another one, uh, which like I said, I'm really excited about is Dark Doom. Um, he's not done anything for a while. Um, it's a good friend of ours. His first album is is or his first couple of albums are great. He's finally, working on new stuff, so keep, uh, and it'll be hopefully, I think it's planned to be released on um a local label as well but keep an eye out for that as dark doom it's cool he actually says that he um he is kind of that thing of like atmospheric black metal but it's cool it's got riffs, it's got intensity it's got darkness to it so it is really good awesome. um yeah that's was... another one would have to be um of course devastator are uh, working on new stuff as well is working on some new stuff as well uh their last single that they released was shit arts really cool if you like your motorhead if you like speed metal and venom and you know kind of you know those early thrashy elements that we had in old school metal then the, you should be excited uh, about the next devastator records. yeah there's another. Yeah, another band to check out. It's not black metal, um, but it's more uh, kind of old school, got some old school death metal, you know, Morbid Angel influences. Is out Guards they there, another band on the local scene just released an album and they're again doing some cool stuff. There, they've signed a decent deal with prosthetic records, who are these, dec- you know, another bigger label. Uh, Devastator as well, they've got some multi album, um record deal which i forgot to mention um which hopefully will take them on to bigger greater things you know they're, you know label mates with um with uh king diamond and people like that now so that's cool oh, that's awesome um, and the band yeah, was, yeah.
0: was uh outer gods
1: uh the other one was outer gods yeah they've okay, cool. signed static records they've got some Cool people in it on the scene. It's kind of grindier. It's more death metal. It's not really black metal, but it's worth checking out. They're doing some cool stuff as well. You know, because it's cool that our Derbyshire kind of East Midland Sea now is starting to grow and kind of blossom in its own way. Um, you know, it's ourselves as, you know, abduction, devastator, outer gods, dark doom, you know, dark doom is the one. Uh, Dark Doom and Abduction, arguably are the ones that I've been most excited about. So they're the ones to keep an eye out for.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna uh, definitely looking forward to a new New Devastator and Abduction, everybody. And I'm gonna check out this Outer Gods album as well. I just found it on uh, Spotify, so check it yeah, out.
1: Yeah, it's So cool stuff.
0: Oh yeah. And then um, let's see. So every I think your uh, your everybody can get your stuff on Bandcamp. Um, it's a uh, Ghoul UK, right?
1: Yep. Yeah, you So, yep, that's one. Yeah, there'll be more stuff coming. I'll probably keep releasing the odd demo here and there and before the, the, the couple of singles when before the new album comes out.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, no. We we'll definitely uh, you said the new album will be out sometime next year, right?
1: Like early next yep. year. So. it'll be early next year. Early early next year. Uh we're we'll planning, you know, those kind of early stages. Um, and then we're hoping to take the show on the road basically you know the live stuff we'll be playing very much stuff off that album awesome yeah
0: yeah so we'll definitely do another episode like when when the album comes out and uh talk some more tolkien and stuff so
1: <laughs> we'll talk some more tolkien maybe some more black metal uh, we haven't talked a lot of black metal actually uh this episode um yeah we'll have to but... talk a bit more black metal <laughs>
0: we'll talk yeah. more we are talking more tolkien this episode so <laughs>
1: yeah it's uh definitely more Tolkien uh we'll maybe think about some you know other points as well is I'll go and check out the stuff about the kind of African religions that you you spoke about yeah it's pretty interesting uh thing like I definitely uh, find a very
0: uh I was really struck by that because I didn't know that kind of stuff when I read Silmarillion and then uh you know I don't know years later I started getting interested in like voodoo and stuff like that and
1: Learning about the orishas and stuff of all that, I was like, "Yeah, oh, that's, that's yeah, really that's fascinating." Cool. Yeah, so not something I've explored yet, so I'm looking forward to that. And it's always cool to to get new insights, and to it?
0: Yeah, I always like to to learn new things and and find out new new perspectives and stuff. So it's cool. Anyway, yeah, well, uh, thank, you uh, yeah, co- thank you for thank you for coming on. It's, it's been great. I really enjoyed the conversation. So
1: yeah, cool. All
0: right, man. i well, have a good day. Yeah, you too, man. Bye.